conferred in our constitution signifies a victory against inequality. inequality. So never underestimate the power of those words. Instead, choose to understand them. Section 26 of the Bill of Rights states that everyone has the right to have access to adequate housing. SAFM, seize your power, know your rights. This is a message from South Africa's news and information leader. You talk, we listen. Talkbacks on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. It's 10 to 8. You're still on the talk shop here on SAFM. I'm Naledi Muleo, and I'm joined in studio now by author, entrepreneur, and expert in personal intelligence, Stephanie Vermeulen. Steph, welcome back. Thank you, Naledi. It's wonderful to be here. I think it's been over a year, actually, since we I, had I you I think on it's the probably show. not, but it may feel like it. it, is, it <laughs> we missed you. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, no, we, we really did, because I think if we, if we have discussions so that, we, that allow people to understand what's happening inside their brains, what, what it is that's blocking them, we'd be doing a lot of people a lot of justice, right? Yes. If we have more of yes. those conversations. But before that, actually, happy Women's Month. Thank you, and to you too. And you Let's were, celebrate and you, well. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and you were telling my producer how you, this is, t- t- tonight is the anniversary of the day you... You made it to the top of Kilimanjaro 10 years ago. Correct. So there were six women, and some of whom were activists, who had been very dedicated to the struggle. So we decided to climb Kilimanjaro on it. What well, it was the 50th anniversary then. Yeah. And we would have started summiting at about 11 o'clock tonight. And at this stage, we were all feeling rather nauseous and wondering what on earth we were doing. Mm. It certainly was never on my list to, to do it. I'm very happy that it's done, but I shouldn't, I shan't want to repeat it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny, and I don't want to go off track, but obviously everyone's thinking this, right? That we then heard about Goku Zulu, and you're talking about this now. And you know, when you heard about him, you must have thought, oh my goodness, I've been there, and I, I understand what that can do to your body. Yes. That about, on average, about 20 people die on Kilimanjaro every year, mm. but it's thousands Thousands and thousands of people are attempting it. And one of the reasons is that people summit too quickly. They go up too fast without actually acclimatizing, etc. So we were very lucky that all six of us made it, but we all did have altitude problems one way or another. Mm. And the night after we summited, a French woman actually died. She had an embolism at the top. And oh, then, gosh. yeah, it's just, it's not something one realizes when you're contemplating it. And I didn't actually have any idea about the dangers of it until I'd left and my husband started researching it while I was actually doing it and then found out that this was extremely dangerous and mountaineering sites were recommending strongly that one doesn't do this. So he was sitting in Johannesburg while I was having a very happy time not realizing the dangers at all Mm. of climbing Kilimanjaro but it is dangerous. You know at the funeral, at Gogo's funeral and everyone heard this right, his wife talking about the medical facility and how, so there really is no medical facility. No, no, there's nothing. You, If you go with a, a good operator, the the good operators, the, the lead guide will usually carry oxygen and the lead guide also knows usually at the point where it's time for you to go down if you have to because mm. they can see the symptoms, your lips go blue and all of that. But the but point is you've got, you've got someone who says it's time for you to go down. You get there even if you get to the bottom and there's still no medical facility. Yes, so that's one of the problems and of course because Kilimanjaro is so high mm. that they can't fly helicopters in there or anything to rescue people. So it really is something that shouldn't be taken lightly and it's also not dependent on whether you fit or unfit or whatever that it 
it really is just dependent on who you are. Yeah. And the one thing that they did talk about was that middle-aged female smokers were most likely to get to the top, and I was such a creature at the time. Fortunately, I've now stopped smoking. <laughs> middle-aged female, female smokers, smokers are more likely to, to get, get to, to the, the top, yes. What? That doesn't even make sense. That is strange. If you're a comrade runner that you're used to pushing through and you shouldn't do that on a mountain like Kilimanjaro, you shouldn't push yourself beyond your limits, which if on comrades, if you didn't do that, you wouldn't make it. So people go up too fast and they try and, and get to the camps too easily. If you're also a smoker... Um, then you're used to working on, on a lot less air normally. Mm. So, yeah, it can be, it, it's not predictable, and the guides all talk about the mountain as she, funnily enough, and they, they, they say she will actually allow you to or not. Yeah. And so it's, it's not, a, it's up to her. Mm. So that just promoted our cause even further, being yeah. six women who were summiting on South Africa's anniversary of the, the Women's March. But yeah, there have been tragedies, and, mm. and obviously the most recent tragedy with Gugu is just awful. Yeah. And terrible. Yes. Well, we went off track. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> we really went off track because that's not what we're here to talk about. We're talking about. Um, understanding who we are, right? And you say we're literally nothing more than what our neurons are up to. Quite correct. And a lot of people might see that to be quite provocative. It's not intended to be. Mm. The whole area of brain science or neuroscience is so fascinating and so exciting because it literally is changing everything about psychology, the behavioral scientists, everything that we've known or thought about ourselves, most of which is now being relegated into the realm of myth. Mm. And so if we look at things like the what was thought for 400 years, what was thought by the medical profession about the brain is that the brain has various parts that specialize and yes that is true but actually now neuroscience is finding out that neurons or brain cells simply specialize and if we lose the the if you have a stroke for example and you lose functioning in in some of those brain cells other brain cells can start to compensate if they're trained correctly mm. so one of the first authors to write about brain plasticity for us the general public was Norman Doidge who wrote the, the book The Brain That Changes Itself mm -hmm. and he talked about a woman who as an adult had mild or throughout her life it had mild learning disorders and when they did a scan on her brain they found that half her cortex half her thinking brain was actually missing and the rest of her brain had compensated really? for this in such a way that it literally was very minor learning disorders that that she suffered mm. and now neuroscience has gotten us to the point where if we look at what brain cells are brain cells simply are cells that recognize and are very sensitive to patterns and they start to make sense ah. of those patterns and then they start to specialize so all of the myths about that you know if your brain gets damaged that's you done etc is no longer true at all it takes a lot of training for somebody who let's say has lost functioning because of a stroke mm. and there but there have been incidents reported of people who've trained parents who've had a stroke and lost functioning on one side mm. left or right 
right side, literally trained them to gain about 90, 98% functioning, which is huge. But before it sounds very, it may sound very glib at this stage, it takes a lot of training, Mm. almost the same as you training a baby to sit, to walk, to crawl, to, and and regain or gain balance. It's the same long-term training process. But a doctor did this with his father, who was a doctor also. The father was a surgeon who had a stroke, and the father literally gained 98% of his functioning through very, very, very dedicated and and constant and long-term retraining of the body. The brain will adapt. So the remarkable thing about our brain is it is described by a neuroscientist called David Eagleman, who's written a book called The The Brain, The Story of You. Mm. There's also a six-part BBC or PBS series um, on on the brain. It's called The Brain with David Eagleman, which Mm. is is fascinating. And he talks about all of the science that, that tells us that our brain is, is he, he talks about the brain being the most fascinating object that are in the known universe and, and also one of them, probably the most intelligent yeah. because often we've related the brain to being like a computer. The brain's far smarter than a computer. It's updating its circuitry all the time and it's updating its software yeah. depending on what's happening. So we may think that, you know, I'm, I've been in my mid-50s now, so I'm an old gogo that's lived for a very long <laughs> time who you know, has lots of memories and in those memories one sees the thread of who you think you are Ah. but actually it's not so if you were to go back to looking at videos or film or photographs often we can see how flawed our memory is so we keep on manufacturing the sense of self that well i'm like this or that's just me according to a flawed memory a very flawed memory and because memory is always flawed memory is a little bit like compost so you put a whole lot of vegetable peels